little cold and a bit snowy. Um, it's my privilege to get to speak to you again today. Now, I was thinking about it, and I've been up here for a couple times, so I'm feeling more comfortable to start telling you things about myself. One here that you might or might not believe is I'm actually a psychic and a magician. <laughs> yeah, you don't believe me, right? Okay. So, I can prove that somewhere in your home or where you spend time, there's something that you treasure. And I can tell you just what it is. I'm, I'm starting to hone in on it. I'm channeling the great Sean Spencer. <laughs> it's a thesaurus, isn't it? No? Okay, I guess I'm not as good a psychic as I thought I was. So I made this really terrible claim. It's really awful, and there's no reason you should believe me for it. But there is a reason I said that. If I were to talk to a first century Greek person around the time of Jesus, and if I were to say the word thesaurus, to them they wouldn't think of a book with a bunch of words in it and the way that they're connected. The word thesaurus means a treasure house or a the things that we put inside of that treasure house, i.e. treasure. And so I made this play on words, and it's an admittedly a goofy one. <laughs> but I feel reasonably comfortable saying that everyone here has something, whether it's a lot of them, whether it's a few of them, it doesn't really matter, something that they treasure and they care about deeply. And so that's the play on words that I'm going to try to use to segue us into today's message. So we are in a series uh, on the life of Jesus, and we are looking to try uh, to understand who he is and what he teaches so that we can begin to desire the things that he wants us to, he desires himself. And the passage we're going to be talking about today comes from one of Jesus' sermons, and it talks about what we value the things that we need, and how these things fit into our relationship with God. But before we do that, let's get started with a word of prayer. Um, I want us to pray the prayer that Pastor Tamar has asked us to be praying daily. Let us desire what you desire. Lord, I pray that you'd give me the words to speak, that I would be able to say what you want me to, and that we would all hear and understand the things that you want us to hear and understand. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right. So last week, Pastor Tamar talked about Jesus um, and his kind of his entry into ministry and the, the trial that takes place before that. And so this one is going to pick up very shortly afterward in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the biggest sermons that he makes. Um, and it's kind of this outline of what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. And he's laying the groundwork there. So let's start by reading uh, in Matthew chapter 6. If you have a Bible, I would ask you to please make your way there. Um, either if, whether it's digital or physical, um, it's going to be 
roughly between two-thirds and three-quarters of the way through. First book of the New Testament. And once you get there, we're going to spend today looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. Let's start with verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, then the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus right off starts with, it's pretty straightforward uh, command. And he says, paraphrasing here, don't store up for yourselves stuff here on earth because it doesn't last. There are so many things that can happen to our stuff. Say it's in your home, your home can catch fire. Some of you may or may not have dealt with that, I don't know. But if you have, that's... Nothing easy. It could be burgled. Pests could eat it. Your pets could eat it. Physical things are in a a lot of ways actually quite fragile. And so are we. Even if your stuff survives, you may not survive to have your stuff. When you die, you can't take it with you. None of our possessions last forever. And Jesus is appealing to the part of us that knows that. That says, yeah, this is impermanent. But he says in contrast, okay, so if this doesn't last forever, do stuff work for the kingdom of God? Because that stores up treasure for you that does last forever. And it pays back in permanent currency. So Jesus then moves on to verses 22 and 23. And he's talking about the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. Now by a show of hands, does this seem kind of out of left field to anyone? Jesus has been talking about our treasure, and now suddenly he's on the eye of the body. Where where do those things actually line up? So for me, it was more helpful uh, if I take a break here for a second and move on to verse 24. And then we'll kind of see some, draw some parallels, and we'll hopefully be able to, with some clarity, look back at verses 22 and 23. So... We just discussed verses 19 and 21. They point to two alternatives. You either put the world uh, and the things that you can get in it into your main focus, and it's you treasure it. 
where you put God there. And verse 24 doubles down on this, and it talks about no one can serve two masters. And again, now we start to see there are some parallels. He's talking about two different things, two different options. You can't serve both God and money. Split loyalty is not a thing that can last in the kingdom of heaven. You can't serve Jesus and still make your own needs and desires the first priority. Again, not long, not long term. God is gracious, but eventually He does ask for us to to believe to do that, to make the choice. And so now we've looked at these two sections, and both of them have mutually exclusive and opposite choices that we can make. There's the material and the impermanent, and the spiritual and the eternal. There's God and there's money. So for me, when I said when I see these two things are parallel, I then begin to wonder what verses 22 and 23 may be about. So whereas treasure and service to things kind of make sense, light and darkness don't make quite as much. But I think we can still see some value in them. So he switches these metaphors, and he's talking about how your eye is essentially the thing that brings in uh, brings in information and helps you understand what's ahead, and it points you where you're going. And so if we are pointing toward God, who is the light, then our body is full of light because he is giving us an understanding of where we're going. But if you point away from God, you're still going to see something and make it your focal point, but it's not going to lead you toward him if you're pointing away from him or not pointing at him. If your focus isn't on God, then everything you do will be marked by the fact that you're not focusing there. So, in all of these things, we see these two patterns. I've talked about them now again several times. Um, And we've got light and darkness. We've got earth and heaven. And we've got God and money. Jesus is essentially drawing a line. He says, here's the line in the sand. You've got to pick one side or another. We have two options. Either we make God our top priority, or we don't. So let's continue to verse 25. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Now, Jesus continues, supposing we have made this decision that we want to point, stand on the heavenly side of this line that he's drawn. 
He offers a path for living in a world that's still dominated by the focus on anything but God. But before we, we go on, I'd, I want to take a second to look at the prayer that we've been praying with Pastor Tamar. And, and kind of think about the end result of what it asks of us. If we think about it, it's actually pretty drastic. It asks us to put our own desires on the back burner, or maybe off the stove entirely, and to bring in God's in, it, in their place. Give his will precedence. This passage kind of tells us that we can't really skirt the line between living for ourselves and living for God. Jesus wants us to be all in. He says in Luke 14.33, if you can put that up on the screen, should be the first one, I believe. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot meet my disciples. And for me, I'm going to tell you that raises my hackles a lot. That's really hard to process and really hard to say, yeah, I want that. Because, you know, for one thing, I like stuff. For another thing, I like my own way. I like my own will. And Jesus says, you know, I love you and I'll help you, but that can't be, you can't stick with that if you're going to be with me. And it's, it's not an isolated requirement that we see here. He says it to people all throughout his ministry, um, especially to the rich, those who do have a lot of things and are focused on the things that are in the world. On the other end of the spectrum, Jesus is talking to the poor. And maybe they aren't focused on all of the, the things that they have or even the things that they know they need. But they're, they're like, we, we're scraping by. What, what do we do? So that's where verse 25 comes in. He says, you know that your life is more important than food, right? While you've got that, that is the important thing. Your food allows you to keep on living, but it's not the reason you live. And, and the same is going to be true of clothing that we'll see. It's important in keeping you modest and warm, but the body is still more valuable than it is. If you've got that, so be it. Then we're going to read on in verses... 26 and 27. Look at the birds of the air. So he's pointing out some examples from nature. And he's saying, look at the birds. They don't really worry so much about how they're going to make their food chain stay in line. They're concerned about the food that they get today, right now, this meal that they're working on at this minute. They don't have a uh, an industrial complex devoted to storing up food 
for the long term, necessarily. Obviously, some birds do store food, but not in, in a huge, oh, we're worrying about it all the time. They go out and they get food and habitats that God has provided for them. It may not be necessarily as much as they want. It may not be more than they need. But it is going to be sufficient to keep them, keep them fed. And so Jesus then makes this point of, look, I've been talking about the birds. If God is going to take care of them the whole time, what about you? Birds are not made in the image of God. Birds are not like God in their being. He loves them, but they are not that. But you are. I am. We all are. Because God made us that way. And so Jesus is saying, guess what? If he takes care of the birds, he's going to take care of the things that are like him. You're going to matter a lot more to him than even birds. And he talks about later in other places, not even a bird drops to the ground and God doesn't know about it. So he's really going to be able to care for you. Verses 28 through 30 kind of give the same kind of thought. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So here he's, he's picking up on flowers. There are these things that live for really just a very short period of time, if we're really being honest. They're here today, gone tomorrow. And yet God makes them beautiful and intricate in such a way that even the wealthiest person you could imagine, that their wardrobe couldn't match up to it. So if God has made these beautiful things to enhance nature, and that a, a things that live for a good bit less time than we do, isn't he going to be able to take care of you too? And so then we're going we're gonna to move on to verses 31 and 32. Jesus is going to follow the theme that he's been having since the start. Don't spend all of your time focusing on the things that will ultimately not last. He says, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. These are things that everyone is trying to get. And all the people who live in the world are concerned about them in some capacity, and that's the thing that kind of drives them. And so Jesus is saying that as a Christian, we have a different priority that we don't put our main worry in where those things are going to come from. Because, but they still get taken care of. 
because God knows that we need them. And I think this is very important to note. It's not God asking us to just look toward him, focus on him only, and, you know, kind of grin and bear it as we don't have these other things. He knows the needs that we have. He, for one thing, he made us with those needs. If God knows what we are as he knits us together in our mother's womb, as the psalm says, he knows how we work, how our bodies work, and the things that they're going to need. But even more amazingly than that, Jesus lived in that body. He lived in one of our bodies, and he knows the things it needs. And so he's not, he's not going to get lost in knowing the things that are going to be important to us. So instead, the point is not to ignore our needs or to to give them away and never have them fulfilled. But our point is to point toward Jesus. And as we are working toward his kingdom, he's going to add the things that we need. Verse 33 says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things... And we're talking about the things that the, the pagans run after, the what should we eat, what should we drink, what should we wear. Those are going to be added to us too. So Jesus' command here forces us to start evaluating our needs and our priorities. Who are we going to trust more? God or ourselves? Will the God that created us and knows how we work and what we need be able to take care of you better than money that you can store up or things? No. There are things that we need and we can devote our attention to them and making sure that we never are without them or we can prioritize looking to God. So I think it's helpful to remember that in, in the same sermon that Jesus is preaching here, even just eight verses before this, he teaches his disciples how to pray. So Matthew 6, 9, and 10 say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we follow this prayer and use the format that it provides, our first request is that God will make his name higher and holy, and it's set apart above everything else. And then we ask that we make his kingdom grow. And in both cases, we're making the focus of the prayer on God and God's kingdom. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He could have, if he really wanted to. God's power and majesty are worthy of praise, and acknowledging that could be considered enough. By rights, we can stop there, and it's an appropriate prayer. 
But Jesus doesn't stop there. He doesn't do that. He goes on. 11 to 13, Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus is showing us that we, we focus on God first and we present our requests then of the things that we need. And God is interested and wants us to ask those things because he really wants to give us the things that we need. Jesus is showing that the way we approach it is not making a demand that all of our needs get met at once. It may be just daily. The one thing that we get today. And we can ask that confidently. Knowing that God will fulfill the needs that we have. So another thing, and we're going to slightly skim because this changes perspective slightly. Throughout this chapter, right now we've been talking about physical needs, but throughout the chapter, Jesus has been making the point that when you do a thing, there will be a result. Again, Newton would tell us the same thing for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. Now, is the action equal? Who knows? But, But what I mean by this is that he says, if you do certain things, you will get paid in the same manner that you did the did the action. We get what we... We get paid by the master that we serve. If we're focused on material things that we can accumulate and we make them our priority, we'll get material things. They are our pay. And if we do things to be lauded uh, and to be made much of, we may get made much of. Or we may fall flat on our face. That's, that's a possibility. But Jesus says, when you do the things for the world, you're going to get paid by the world one way or another. But he also then says, if we do things for God, we're going to get paid by God. And the things that he pays you with are going to be better and heavenly, and they last. So we know that God doesn't ask us to work without reward. If we're working on the things that God wants, we can be assured that when we do what he desires us to do, we're going to get a return on investment that is greater than what we can imagine. In the book of Galatians, chapter 6, Paul writes, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. 
So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a reward, a harvest, if we do not give up. And so we see the two masters that Jesus has already been talking about, the world and God, in the person of the Spirit. And so whichever one we serve gives us our paycheck. Now we we swing back because in this Matthew passage, in verse 33, we see that not only are we storing up this eternal pay, we're also storing up and are being provided for in the things of the world that we need. So Matthew 7, even further on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Those who seek find. To those who knock the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a snake? If you then, although you are evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God is the loving Father and is prepared to provide good things to his people. And we're going to be done pretty soon. I promise. Now, it's pretty easy to say all this. But with most things, it's much harder to get it to stick and to apply it I can think of any of a number of situations that would make me anxious. And I'm guessing if I asked for a suggestion from you guys, I would get a lot more. Your next meal, rent, that car payment, your mortgage, medical bill, kids' braces, college tuition, mortgage... Retirement, you have two mortgages, evidently. These things are pressing financial concerns. And that's not mentioning any of the other things that we need that aren't related to money. You may be in a job that's demanding more than you think you can give. And you may be right. And you may be a caregiver that is forced to see things go downhill and you need the strength to face it. There are lots of things that sap daily strength. All these are very real, and I assume that many of you can relate, or maybe have other things that I haven't even come close to touching on that weigh on you in the same way. Now, these probably look different between each of us. And we all have to face them. But in this passage, is Jesus telling us that if one of these concerns show up and we get bothered by it, that we're sinning? No. No, no, no. I don't think that's what he's getting at. So I think he's making an invitation to turn to God, who is capable and eager to provide you with what you need and to focus on him. Those troubles may not simply disappear, 
They often seem not to, even. But he will still provide for those needs that we have. And so I think what we need to be willing to do is instead of relying on our own strength, ultimately give him the best of our attention. So the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. He's using the same word that Jesus does in this this sermon that he's making. The anxiety is the thing that we're worrying about, that we're looking at so carefully. And in a similar vein, Paul writes to the letter in the letter to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So now before I finish, I want to take a really quick run through of some examples. Because there's been kind of a lot of me talking and quoting scriptures, but not necessarily a whole lot of hard and fast examples. First up is Abraham. God asks him to sacrifice Isaac. That's a hard one. Do you think? No. So it is a hard one, and Abraham does go through, and he he's prepared to do it. The book of Hebrews tells us that he was expecting to get Isaac back another way. And God provides for him with the ram in Isaac's place. Elijah is a prophet, and he is kind of in a tough situation. Everyone basically in his country is turning and worshiping other gods. And he decides, no, I'm going to stick with God. I'm going to do what he asks. And he gets thrown into a situation where he is basically in charge of a drought on his own people. Now, wouldn't it be easier to say... You know, Baal isn't that bad. He controls the rain for sure. Let's worship Baal instead, and that's the easy way out. He sticks with what God wants him to do. And even though he's hunted, and he's in the middle of a drought himself and a famine, God provides with ravens. This weird bird's just bringing him food. And that ends, and God provides for him again by making something that should run out very quickly continue to have enough supply for that day. Then we'll jump ahead a fair ways to what we talked about, what Pastor Tamar talked about last week, with Jesus and this temptation by the devil. To make food. Jesus is hungry. He's been out there 40 days. And he hasn't eaten anything. That's going to make you hangry, right? 
He's at his most vulnerable, but he still chooses to acknowledge that God is superior and is capable of providing if he so chooses. And at the end of the temptation, God does provide. He sends angels who take care of him. And finally, we're going to jump out of the Bible for a second and consider George Mueller. Some of you may know the name, you may not. If you don't, that's totally all right. Long story short, he ran an orphanage uh, in Britain in the mid-1800s that ended up taking care of over 10,000 kids. And while some months and days he may have had money to be able to spend and buy a meal and secure that for these orphans, some days he had no clue where it was coming from. And he said, God will provide. Because he believed that his work was in keeping with what God wanted and that God would do what he had promised. So what does it look like to trust that God will provide for you? This isn't a question I'm going to try to answer. I think this is one for for each of us to ask ourselves. What might he be calling you to do to trust in him that would require leaning into his provision without reservation, without this backup plan? If our aim is to make the want the things that God wants, then we are by nature asking for a change in what we value most. When you and I seek God first, he is capable and pleased to fulfill our needs, whatever our circumstances. Remember that what we focus on dictates the path we follow. And remember this, too. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Don't put that as your main concern. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I'd like to quickly just pray through Psalm 23. It's going to be on the screen if you want to read it while we do. Um, And I just want us to kind of let it sink in and compare it with how the rest of the what we've talked about today. The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. There's his kingdom. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen.